Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. Today, we have Glennis Oyston, a fellow Canadian who has been a transplant to California in the United States, where she works as a registered dietitian who helps people recover from eating and body image issues created by toxic diet culture through the health at every size and intuitive eating philosophies. She is also an advocate for promoting weight stigma awareness and fat positivity, and is the co-host of the popular Dietitians Unplugged podcast, which I totally recommend. Uh, we've had Aaron Flores on the show before, um, Glennis co-host. Love this podcast. You can find that one on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or probably anywhere you get your podcasts. 100% recommend. Um, Glennis is based in Los Angeles and does see clients both in person and virtually. And if you're interested in connecting with her virtually, you can go to daretonotdiet.com. This podcast was recorded um, in January of 2020. And as I've said before, I'm a little slow on this editing process. But I just wanted to say that this was before the pandemic of COVID-19 has reached the consciousness of um, North America, at least. And um, as I'm putting this together, you know, everyday news reports are coming out about uh, social distancing and um, isolation and quarantine and uh, diagnosis rates are rising and death tolls in other countries are rising. So I just want to say a very heartfelt thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Um, It might be a little escapist and give you some time to not think about that. Um, so I'm sorry for mentioning it. Um, but I also want to say that, you know, I just, I hope everybody is doing well and finding the support, um, and care that they need to get through this time. Um, please, if you need to reach out, find someone to reach out to. Um, it, it, this is a very difficult time for many, many people. And I just want to say that you are all in my thoughts, um, as we navigate this world right now and figure out what we need to do. And um, I just want to say be well and um, support each other and be there for each other. And again, thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed my conversation with Glennis. I found her super easy human to talk to. And um, I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Hello, Glennis. Thank you for joining the Nurse Circle podcast today. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for having me on. I, I'm, I'm just so grateful that uh, you invited me to come and talk. Oh, well, I... Don't know if I told you this in the email, but you were the very first podcast I ever heard, um, and your Dietitians Unplugged podcast. So part of my goal was to have both you and Aaron on the show at some point because you opened my eyes to podcasting. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, yeah we we started it, you know, back in when we we really were DIY at that time, and um, and uh, I, we had no idea what we we're doing. So <laughs> I'm glad you were listening. Thank you so much. You must probably were one of our first listeners then. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I think it was, it was fairly early on. 
Um, and, but yeah, it was like, oh, I love this medium. And your name definitely helped me find you because I had no idea how to search anything at that point. And I was like, dietitian podcast haze, I think is what I put in to see what oh, happened. cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and you were the first one that popped up. So Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. And I also watched a webinar that you gave on the history of diving like two or three years ago. Oh, right. For the EDRD Pro. Yeah. yeah. And that was wonderful. Anyways, Thank so you. yeah, so you've been on my list of people I wanted to chat with. And you're a Canadian? Yes, originally, yeah. Originally, which is super exciting to me, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> and often to me, too. I, yeah. I, I feel like that, that I drop that in conversation all the time just to see people's reaction here. Americans love Canadians. <laughs> really? If I, yeah, they do. If, you, if you're, you know, um, the conversation's stagnating. I'm like, and I'm Canadian too. No, that's, that's weird. But um, it does come up often. So. And do you hear the, uh, what, what is my supposed to say weird about? Yeah, I do yeah. now. You it's do now? So, yeah, I, I can hear the Canadian accent now. Cool. Cause I yeah. swear I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> yeah. Not as strong as some others, but um, yeah, it's there. And I feel like I'm a little bit sad cause I don't think I sound as Canadian as I once did. So I'm one of those people that just absorbs all the accents around me. Yes. Strangely. Yeah. Yes. So. And living in LA, I'm sure there's a few. Yeah. Like I remember thinking like the Californian accent and now I can't hear it in the same way. Oh, and okay. so it's just where you are for a long yeah. time that you just, it becomes like normal. So. Yeah. It's very cool. But anyways, back to the topic at hand, I guess <laughs> I could ramble all day and I usually. Right. Do. Me too. <laughs> um, so we're, this could be a very long episode. Um, <laughs> Usually before we start, I just like to ask anyone if there's any privileges or identities that they're comfortable sharing, or if there's any paradigms that you want to kind of upfront let us know that you work from, um, just to kind of color your answers a little bit. Sure. Um, I, th I was thinking about this. I think that the privilege that probably affects my life the most is that I am lucky to be in the middle class. Um, mm -hmm. Whatever that means now, right? That's a changing yeah. definition, but I wasn't always i don't like to admit this necessarily but growing up i probably my you know i lived with my mom we probably would not have economically been considered middle class although we appeared that way um that was very important uh, to my mom <laughs> and yeah. um but we you know we weren't <laughs> and um you know now i am and i feel really fortunate and that i to me your economic status is I think is the most important thing that that dictates, I think, what happens in your life. Um, I know there are many, many other sort of intersections that come into play, mm -hmm. but um, I, we live in an economic oligarchy at this yes. point, and you. you know, it's just I, I live in LA, and I the the homelessness has exploded in the last ten years here because the rents have increased dramatically and wages haven't and you can see the result of that and so that affects people of all colors mm -hmm. um uh, you know of of every different sort of identity so so i feel incredibly fortunate <laughs> to be in the middle class right now mm -hmm. um i don't have to sleep in a tent right now and that's yeah. um that's really hit home for me every day i pass the tent city probably at least once a day 
okay. Yeah. So, and then I work in the health at every size paradigm. Mm -hmm. So I'm a non-diet dietitian. I'd actually um, like to say I'm an anti-diet dietitian. I don't believe in intentional weight loss um, or pursuing intentional weight loss. Um, And I really believe that we can begin to work towards health at any size that we're at. Mm -hmm. And that has been just a life-changing paradigm for me because I came from a dieting background. And that really affected how I lived my life. And the way I live my life now is very different as well. So that paradigm is so important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Just to kind of build on that a little bit, I've heard you talk about your your story before of, um, you know, living the diet mentality and how you were successful, quote unquote, in that area for some time. And I was wondering if you could share um, that story again with our audience and then kind of the progression of how you moved away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because um, before I start into that, it's I I was on I don't go on social media all that much anymore. But um, a Weight Watchers ad showed up in my news feed, oh. and I was like, and like one of my friends had liked it, and I was like, oh hell no. <laughs> and so I like started to read the comments, and I was like. Oh. I have to make a comment. And so <laughs> I did make a comment. And of course, nobody, nobody wants to hear that, that, you know, I said like this works as well as any other diet does. It's three to five years. You're gonna be and of course, the occasional person is like, well, I've kept it off for eight years and it's like, it's 42 pounds or whatever, which, you know, now I know working in the, in the field that I do as a private practice dietitian, like 42 pounds is kind of nothing. So like to lose that, that's not, I know it seems a lot to a person who's lost that. And I know as somebody who's lost in that kind of neighborhood, it's like that, that is, um, that feels significant, but the truth <laughs> is like, that's not a lot, but anyway. Um, I guess so, it depends on starting points too, right? Yeah. Right. It does. It absolutely does. So if, if it took 42 pounds for you to go from a not thin person to a thin person, then you, you know, you're like what, Roxanne Gay called um, Lane Bryant fat. Yeah. Um, and I just, oh, I should preface that. I use the word fat as a neutral body descriptor and not as an insult. So <laughs> I'm really trying to be cognizant of that, um, of explaining that. But um, typically I use larger body person. But um, <clears throat> anyway, the reason I brought that up is because I did go on Weight Watchers when I was 22. And um, the reason I went on, I'd always been sort of a, like, chubby, chubby kid, chubby teenager. Um, and like a a very small fat person is what in the, in the sort of fat activist world we might refer to as like a very small fat person. And, but the reason I went on the diet was that my mother was very sick at the time. And I, um, my life just felt super out of control. I didn't have a permanent job. Um, it just, I I just remember thinking like, I just need to do something. I'm so unhappy right now. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, the easiest thing that I could probably affect is maybe my weight or my eating or something. Like I knew also, I just didn't know how to eat. I'd never had a good relationship to food. I was a chronic overeater, um, like for most of my life. Um, my mom had been very confused as a dieter herself. She'd been very confused Mm. about how to feed me as a child, I think, but she never wanted me to be on a diet. And so much to her credit, she never enforced that. She never like put me on a diet. It was kind of the other, the opposite end. So I, 
<laughs> starting in childhood, I really didn't have a good relationship or normal relationship to food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, flash forward to my early 20s, I'm like, okay, really, I don't know what to do. I just feel like my life is total chaos. I'm going to go. I'd heard people had been to Weight Watchers, so I went there. And, you know, by and large, it was a great experience at the time. I hate, I hate saying that, but it felt like a really great experience at the time. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're, um, they were welcoming, you know, I needed that sense of community. Um, and then it, it also did bring some structure. Like there are things I learned from that time that I probably do still do today, not in a diet way, but like I learned, oh, three meals a day. It's really important to get that. And they should probably be balanced. It was way before their points program. So okay. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. They did much more like diabetes selections for back then. Like it was like oh. five, five starches a day and four proteins, something like that. So, okay, yeah. um, <clears throat> and, um, I, uh, I really liked it. And because I had been really overeating, I didn't actually have to change my eating that much to lose the weight. And I realize that now I think about that a lot because it wasn't a difficult process for me the way it is for a lot of people. It just kind of like dropped off. Right. And also I have a young pliable body at that time. It's never been through a diet. So I think that makes it easier to lose weight the first time. And (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, recovering from a little cold here. And um and so it was like, you know, and during that time my mom passed away, unfortunately, and it was just like this thing that I clung to. Um, like, oh, this this safety, this control, this this thing I have to get me through. Yeah. And um and I am one of the unicorns out there that kept weight off for like 16 years, basically. Oh. I mean, during the, so the first like eight years seemed easy, but then as I entered my thirties, it started to get, oh gosh, I'm gaining weight again. What is happening? What, this is getting a little harder, you know? And also my diet mentality was increasing over that time. Like I shouldn't have this food. I shouldn't have that food. Oh, but I want it. I want it. And so there was like occasional binging um, yeah. as time went on. And, uh, and when I entered my thirties, I was also again in kind of not a great situation. I just moved to a brand new country. I moved to the U S mm-hmm. and I was in a relationship that I did not realize at the time it seemed happy, but really was not, um, happy for me. Right. So, and there's nothing dramatic there. It was more just, oops, I think I made a mistake. Yeah. And, um, and so my solution for all of that was I've got to, I'm going to get even thinner now. <laughs> and, and that's when the dieting went off the rails and became like the restriction that I think a lot of people go through yeah. um, with diets where it's just like, I'm trying so hard. I'm eating so little. And um, it was just so, my existence was so painful during that time. And yeah. it took me like the same amount of time as it did in my twenties to lose like a fraction of the weight. Like I was just like, I'm going to get that last 10 pounds off. And <clears throat> And, um, you know, that was, that was an unfortunate (laughs) kind of left turn into extreme restriction. Um, I, I hate thinking about like how I was during that time. And that's when I decided to become a dietitian. And, um, because I I thought, yeah, it is not uncommon. Like a lot of dietitians do come from, they have food issues. Um, I was the, my mentality was I wanted a new career. I knew that. And I thought, well, what? And I was so obsessed with food. 
at the time because I couldn't have any of it. And I was like, well, what? So I just thought, oh, I'll, I'm just a food obsessed person. That's because, you know, this is a normal way to eat, but I'm just a food obsessed person. It's like, no, I'm just really hungry. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, what should I do? And I, that's when I found out like dietitian was a career. And I was like, hey, diet is in the word. That's awesome. This will allow me to live my lifestyle, my insane lifestyle. And uh, also make money at the same time. So I, um, I embarked on, on my um, education for becoming a dietitian. I started to go, in, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and I went to City College of San Francisco. Uh, and I just went part-time, took a long time. And then during that time, um, my marriage ended. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, like a lot of stuff just came to head, right? Because being being your ultimate thin person doesn't fix the actual problems that are going on. No, not at all. And, and uh, you know, eventually I found a new partner and that, that's been a great relationship for me. And so during that time, um, I went to school full time and that's when I had my first nutrition class and I was introduced to health at every size. Mm-hmm. in my first nutrition class. And I was really fortunate. The teacher was Linda Bacon, formerly Linda Bacon. Um, That's and, a great person to get your first nutrition class from. Right. I had no idea um, who they were at the time. And, yeah. um, and uh, it was just like transformational because I was so hungry. <laughs> and yeah. hearing about like how weight stigma, you know, is just, it's just, how we feel about larger bodies is discrimination and how the science shows that bodies come in different sizes and that we do more harm with trying to lose weight. All of that was resonating with me. At first it was super resistant. And then all of a sudden I was um, like counting out my 12 almonds for my one Weight Watchers point and Mm -hmm. realized like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) I can't this. I'm so hungry and I'm so terrified of gaining weight and why. And just that social justice aspect really hit me. Like I don't want to perpetuate more discrimination by my own actions. And, and I just quit dieting at the end. I remember at the end of that semester, I was like, I'm going to (laughs) eat. That's awesome. <laughs> I was so excited. Like, I was like, what's it like just to eat a lunch that where I feel like, ah, oh, satisfied? And it was shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so shocking. And uh, predictably, I did gain weight. So I regained every ounce that I lost, ever lost, and like plus another 10 to 15 more. Mm-hmm. So that's no joke that, you know, and I'm a normal eater now. And if I'm a normal eater and this is the size of my body, then that to me proves body diversity. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's sort of the trajectory of my dieting. So I am one of those people that kept it off for a long time, but I always say like, yeah, but what was the quality of my life over time? You know, I just kept, uh, it was like thinness at all costs. And I just kept thinking like the more I can, the thinner I can get, the better my life will get. That wasn't the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, admittedly, when I became thinner the first time, there was a lot of privilege that did suddenly come along with that. And it was like a double-edged sword because I remember thinking, well, I'm the same person. Why do boys like me now? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. why am I suddenly the kind of person that gets hit on in bars? <laughs> and 
at the same time, I'm like, ooh, I like the attention because I was young and I was not very feminist at the time. And I was, <laughs> you know, you know, I was looking for somebody to love me, right? So, yeah. so I was angry though too. So part of that, you know, and you internalize that where it's like, well, obviously my fatter self was not deserving of this, mm-hmm. even though logically that's a ter- you know, like logically, I know that's not true. Um, so there was anger that came along with that too, but you know, it grew into fear that I would go back to that eventually. And, um, I overcame all that fear. So, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, but I had kept that weight off for a long time, but the, 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 the quality of life I ended up living was not, it was not good at all. And so I had to really think about what is the life that I want? Yeah. That kind of comes up for me. Um, I'm reading Christy Harrison's anti-diet book and the way she talks about the life thief. Like you just kind of explained how dieting just takes so much of your life from you. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you might not be to that part yet, but I'm there. I'm in the book. I know. You are, yeah. <laughs> and, which is literally the most yeah. exciting thing that's happened to me in my life. Um, I'm in a book. Oh, my God. And I'm in the index right above Gwyneth Paltrow. And, oh, my God, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, my name, Doppelganger, sort of. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, I talk about my story because I during that time I've become a member of the uh, weight – Wait, I don't remember the name of it anymore. The weight control, weight loss. Yes. The National Weight Control Registry, something, MWCR. That's what it is, but the National Weight Control Registry because they were taking on people who had lost like 30 pounds and kept it off for a year because to them that was like, that was long-term weight loss. And I Mm -hmm. laugh thinking about that because (laughs) that's, the weight gain begins like between years two and five. Yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, that it's so true. And I love the way Christy kind of um, talks about that. It does steal your time and your energy and, you know, just your confidence and Mm -hmm. yeah. And so much of just like your day probably revolves around. My whole day was thinking about what I could and couldn't eat. Yeah. It was, it was very boring. (laughs) Yeah. Now, did you, this came up while you were talking in my head, did you go back to Weight Watchers? Um, Like, cause that's what you said you did the first time. And the reason I asked is because they were recently promoting to children. Um, And my thought is it's like your first love, right? Like the first one will quote unquote work for a short period of time anyways. And you might always go back to that. So my thought is they're like whole trying to get people young so that they will be the ones that they constantly go back to because it quote unquote worked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that was, uh, did I go back? I, it's almost like I never left in a way. Okay. So I, the, the diet I did was only ever Weight Watchers. I didn't go into any other diet. Um, Because I thought, really, I felt that Weight Watchers worked because it had worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, anytime I thought like, oh, I'd like to lose a few more pounds, I would just go back. I would take my little lifetime membership and I could go for free because I was still under the weight that I, you know, that I had. Oh, I didn't realize they did that. Yeah. So when you become a lifetime, when you reach your goal weight and you maintain it for six weeks, then you become a lifetime member. You go for free. And the only time you pay is if you go two pounds above your goal weight. At least that's <gasps> how it used to be. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But the reality is most people lose the weight, and then it feels easy at first, and then they kind of go away from it. And, and the reality is it's very hard to maintain that kind of life, like writing down food or eating as little as you can to maintain weight loss. It's just very hard 
like most, most of us can't do that. And it just so happened that I could eat a lot of food still and maintain a lower weight. And for whatever reason, right? I think part of it had been, I'd been a long time overeater before that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we never know what's going on with somebody's physiology. So no, but I just kept going. I would be like, Hey, let's go and lose a few more pounds. And I'd go for a while and then I'd be like, Oh, that's silly. I don't know why I'm doing this. And then, and then, yeah, when I went again in my thirties, that was when, like, I'm going to start a new membership and lose this, you know, but I was like a quote unquote normal BMI at that time. And Weight Watchers was still like, yeah, come on in. So it's ridiculous because if they think they're just helping people that they should help quote, putting all this in weights or in quotes, because I don't think anybody needs to go and yeah. lose weight. You know, that's a, not a useful thing to do. Um, but you know, they would just take anybody. I remember when I, so I also worked for Weight Watchers. Oh, did you? Um, yes. After I finished the first time, I was like, well, I'm just going to make all my money back by working for them. And so I did that. And I, I remember one specific um, thing that happened was there was a ballet school in town and some young ballerinas came in and were like, we need to lose some more weight. And I remember looking at them thinking like, you are tiny. What is, and, and even the leader was kind of like, um, so you have to be like five pounds above the top of your weight range or something like that for your age. I don't even know. I don't know if they ended up going there, but to me it was really alarming that, you know, they might even consider taking them. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll take anybody now, and especially if they're opening it up to children, which it's, it makes me so angry that they're doing this. Cause we know that putting kids on diets is the absolute worst thing. Oh yeah. To do. Yeah. And I have many clients in my private practice who were put on diets and Weight Watchers was often one of the first ones. Um, yes. They went with their moms. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just think it's so unethical to, to do that. Um, kids should never have to be on diets. No, no. They, it, they can't choose. They don't have the agency to choose at that point. Or they don't, you know, we don't allow them to make all sorts of decisions. And I think doing that is another one that we shouldn't allow them to make basically, um, as, as, as their guardians, right? We have to make better decisions. We can't, anyway, everybody thinks dieting is a good thing. So I guess that's why they do it. Yeah. And I think with, especially with kids, oftentimes I find myself saying the child is growing. (laughs) Why are we trying to go backwards when the child is growing? We are taller. Our bodies need to change to, right? Like it just, it, it, and the looks I get when I say the child is growing is often like very confused. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and what most people don't understand too is that growth isn't often like um, even for height and weight. Exactly. So sometimes kids will grow out a little bit before yeah. they grow up yeah. again. Or they'll, you know, those like kind of tall, lanky kids, they've grown up fast and they just haven't their weight just hasn't caught up. So it doesn't, it's not even. So I think when those kids that start to gain a little bit of weight and they look a little bit chubbier when they're young, I think people start panicking. It's like, they're just in some sort of a growth spurt. It's not just up. Sometimes it's out. So it's, yeah. And that's, it's so harmful, right? Like maybe they would grow up to be kids in larger bodies, but so what, right? They'll be in the body that's right for them. Exactly. Without all the mental anguish of counting out their almonds. I mean, I can't imagine if I had gone through that as a kid. Um, I mean, I really appreciate my mom's efforts to, to make sure that I never did that. I remember being like, mom, I'm fat. I want to lose weight. And her just getting so angry and saying, I don't want you to 
become anorexic. And I was like, yeah. that's such a leap. Like, yeah. but then I re- realized when I saw pictures years later of my mom, when I was very little, she had, she was very thin and my mom is not, my mom is a small person, but never this thin. It was that mm-hmm. kind of emaciated look. Okay. And I realized, I think she probably went through this herself a little mm-hmm. bit yeah. and did not want me to go through that. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, she, she never had a full, you know, she never had a diagnosed eating disorder, but she definitely um, was very thin. And I know that she dieted. I know that much. Yeah. So, um, but she didn't want that life for me. Yeah. And I, I hear parents like on the other side of that coin saying, you know, I was teased or, you know, I lived with uh, weight stigma and I'm just making it so my child doesn't, to which I always say, then we need to change the culture, not your child. Right. Exactly. Like, don't, you know, we don't, we don't change the victim yeah. <laughs> of stigma. Right. Yeah. And I think what helped for me is that I got teased a little bit growing up, but my mom was very you know, very much on my side and like, mom, somebody called me fat. She's like, so what? Who cares? What are they to you? <laughs> my mom yeah. is a very like, very tough kind of uh, exterior at times. And, uh, and you know, she's, you're, you're just fine. You're the way you are. You're absolutely, you know, and that really helped like having my mom on my side. Oh, my mom thinks I'm fine. She's the most important person to me. Great. You yeah. know, um, that really helped. Now, of course I did grow up thinking, well, obviously there's something wrong with my body that it would be teased or whatever. But I never truly felt for myself that my body was wrong. It's more just like I recognize that the world thinks it's wrong. Yes. Um, That's a big difference, I think. I think it is. Yeah. I I truly, I still to this day, like I'm, you know, again, a small fat person. And, um, you know, I look in the mirror, I don't see anything wrong with my body. (laughs) Like, that's my body. You know, it's fine. I can recognize though that, you know, in this world, like people are trying hard not to look like my body. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I can, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now, so I can say, well, that's fine. That's their problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not, you know, again, this is another privilege I think I carry is that I'm not a very large person. Um, so the amount of crap I get in the world is reduced, I think, with your body size. So, um, yeah. I'm just like a, I look like a, again, I use the word chubby because it's like that mid, that middling kind of, you know, I just look like a chubby middle-aged lady at this point. Right. And that's like a atypical body size for somebody my age. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't get a whole lot of, of crap from people around me, which is, you know, a privilege. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you could probably still shop in stores and Right. Yeah, I can find, I, I go to plus size stores for sure, but then sometimes I can go to Target and find like, okay, extra large or extra, extra large might fit, yeah. just depending. Of course, I buy everything with stretch because now I, everything I wear needs to approximate pajamas. So. Oh, I am so on board with that. <laughs> That's the age I've hit. I'm like, no waistbands, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, does this look like pajamas to go to work today? And I'm okay yeah. with it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing that your like history, as well as taking your first nutrition class with Lindo Bacon, which I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit jealous of, um, (laughs) really informs how you sit with clients now and how you work with them. Um, Do you think that it gives you um, like a different perspective or a comfort level or I don't know, I just, I'm guessing that that kind of really works 
Yeah. I think it's nice for me. So I don't think that you need to have a recovery history to work with people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, it's nice because when I hear my client stories, I really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm like, oh, I really get that. I really get your fear. So it's just a little bit easier probably for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that they maybe feel relaxed knowing that I went through something that they did. Um, but again, like I said, I, I, you know, there are many thin dietitians that don't have the same history that, you know, can, can help the same people. So yeah. I'm not, yeah, you know, but I, yeah. yeah, but I, um, for probably for me, it's just a little extra, like, Ooh, I love hearing your story and like really relating to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just think it adds an extra fun layer for me. Um, to have to have that shared history with some of my clients, and then you know many of my clients have a different history. Like anybody with anorexia, like I, it's um, I can relate to the restriction part, but it's a different level, and yeah. it's not something I can really fully relate to. But that's mm-hmm. okay because they don't have to relate to everybody's problems to be able to yeah. work with them. Totally. So yeah. And um, I was also thinking about being exposed to health at every size in your schooling. Did you find that that carried through your education and into, I think you do internship in the States as well, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through? Yeah. So surprisingly, and I, again, I think I was pretty lucky. Um, so I went to school in San Francisco and I transferred from the, from city college to a four year college. Um, the, one of the instructors there knew Lindo Bacon and herself was a, she was a health at every size dietitian and she'd had a history of restriction and she, you know, so I just bonded with that instructor mm-hmm. and was so like, I clung to her like a life raft. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so while the program didn't have an official health at every size uh, curriculum, there was still an opportunity to be connected with people. So also I was going to school with a lot of people that had also had Lindo Bacon as a teacher. Yeah. So that a lot of other people were like very much like, yeah, diets suck, you know? Um, And I also don't remember them really focusing on weight loss a lot. It was definitely there, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'll put it that way. Um, And so I think just the Bay Area is sort of saturated in health at every size as well. Like, you know, Lindo Bacon is there. um, Deb Brigard is up there. um, Right. right. And not that I was meeting these people, but just knowing that they're around, like that was super helpful for me. So there wasn't an official um, health at every size curriculum. Like um, the uh, school in, in Chico, which is also in um, California, Northern California, does have um, a very health at every size curriculum. And um, that was very exciting for me to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but San Francisco State did not have that at the time. Eventually that instructor for a couple years, I think became the director of the program. So it might've changed a little bit, but you know, it's so dependent on the people running the program. So yeah. if somebody who's not into health at every size, is no longer in charge, there probably will not be any mention of it. So just, I was lucky that the time that I went, that I could yeah. still find that. And, you know, people in the Bay Area at the time were very much more, less about talking about weight loss and more about like the quality of food. Like I call it Michael Pollan syndrome. 
Okay, yeah. Where it's like it's got to be like local, pastured, yeah. you know, whatever kind of like gently massaged <laughs> food that has had a therapist. Yeah. And like the beets were gently removed from the land, not ripped out. You know, like <laughs> just yeah. like, it's taking it to an extreme, but it felt like that, right? Like, um, so I think I was at that time, I may still have been caught up in that side of things, even though like I was in school, I had no money. I was so in debt. Yeah. And like here I was like, I wish I could buy organic. It's like, oh, you have bigger fish to fry, my dear. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, you know, that's, so it was a while before I could let go of that aspect of, of, um, diet culture. I think the real, super orthorexic side of it and i not to, i'm not saying that if you buy organic that makes you orthorexic not at all it's more like you know are are you living in fear yeah um i always think that kind of determines you know your level of obsession or pathology it's like how much fear are you experiencing mm-hmm. um and so and so then i went to my internship down in la and i was very lucky to intern at the VA, which is the Veterans Administration. And um, that's that was another thing where I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to have to get through this. Yeah, I'm going to have to go along with the weight loss stuff. Like I was just in a panic. I didn't want to be an inpatient dietitian. So I was like, I'm going to hate that. And then it just turned out to be the best experience. <laughs> and yeah. that's also when I met my podcast partner now, Aaron Flores. He's mm-hmm. been on your show. Yeah. And he was in a larger body and he, at the time he ran the weight loss program. I'm sure he talked about that. Um, but he was also into intuitive eating, which I had not really heard that much about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that was pretty new to me. I was like, Oh, intuitive eating. Okay. That's, um, let me read that book. Mm -hmm. And, um, just meeting him was like, Oh, I'm going to get through it, you know? <laughs> and because of, I think because of his influence, like a lot of the other dietitians at, in the program at the time also didn't believe in dieting. Um, and so it was a great, great experience. I was so lucky. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think about the whole thing. I was so lucky, um, to get where, to land where I did. And, um, yeah. And so I've been able to sort of, and I've then, I've worked at that say, I've worked at the VA since I graduated and it slowly built my private practice alongside that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm leaving the VA too, to be full-time private practice. Finally, and I have like mixed feelings because what a great place to work. But yeah. um, I've been lucky to be able to sort of teach new interns about health at every size. Aaron and I usually give a talk to the the intern consortium. It's like all the different interns come for classes on Mondays and we've been able to teach about health at every size and intuitive eating. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Not without pushback for sure, but it's still, it's been really interesting to be able to do that. And, um, just, those are some lucky interns. Yeah. Well, some of them don't think so. No, (laughs) I'm sure (laughs) we did it last year and we got like a, a few, a handful from one internship. We didn't know which one, but from one internship, they were just like, how, like, I don't appreciate you talking about thin privilege. I don't appreciate being called thin privilege, which we didn't do. We just brought up the concept, right. And Mm -hmm. saying, I think Aaron had said, we might need to acknowledge that there's some thin privilege going on, you know, with our clients when we're working with them. And then this, that was like, you know, it's hard to bring up that idea of privilege with people because nobody wants 
it's become a dirty word in some ways, but nobody wants to be accused of having privilege, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so it was just very interesting to see the pushback. But then it was great because some of our other interns from the VA internship were like, I could see them nodding their head. I'm like, yeah, this is really great and interesting. And I've heard of this and da, da, da. And it was so, you know, it was mixed, but it was, we did a, a, a podcast episode after about like. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember hearing it. Yeah, what we, what we mean when we say thin privilege mm-hmm. and we sort of broke it further down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, throughout my education, basically I was super lucky. And then throughout my employment with them, I was also lucky. Um, I really didn't have to get involved in weight loss at all. Um, even though they have a weight loss program and, um, yeah, it's just been, an, it's been great. People are receptive to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's one thing I found that if you, when you talk and you just very factually kind of start to lay things out, people are pretty receptive. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I've gone from like a total haze warrior in my personal life to like, eh, maybe I'll sit back and listen and I can lead by example. And if people want to follow that, that's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. But usually if people are engaging in diet talk, I say, oh, I used to do that, but you know, I found it wasn't a very good way to live. And I do this other thing now. And sometimes people are interested in hearing about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's a cool way of doing it. Um, you mentioned that you're leaving the VA and you're, so you've been able to build up your private practice. And I know one thing you've been working on with Rebecca Scritchfield is an online Hayes diabetes virtual group. And I was wondering if you want to chat a little bit about that. Right. Um, I do. Uh, A couple of years ago, Rebecca got in touch with me. We kind of met at a conference and then, you know, we all, the Hayes world is like, we all know each other. (laughs) We all get to know each other. And it's awesome. I love that. And she kind of contacted me. We had chatted before about stuff. And she's like, hey, do you want to do something about diabetes? Because it's really this underserved area. You know, people think that health at every size can't be applied to medical conditions. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the opposite couldn't be more true. Like throughout my entire clinical profession. And I did do it. I was an inpatient dietitian and then I was an outpatient home-based, um, home-based primary care where I visit people in the home. Like okay. you can apply health at every size principles everywhere. I might not be teaching intuitive eating, yeah, but I am, you know, um, always thinking from a health at every size perspective. And she said, yeah, I think like there, you know, Migret Fletcher is out there and she does a lot of, you know, health at every size Uh, diabetes care. And so we want that part to grow. And so we started to do these virtual groups, support groups of just really small groups. And they, people were really appreciative of coming in and for the first time hearing that we are not going to focus on weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, This is how you do it. This is how you do it from a non-weight loss perspective. This is how you start to think about how to, how you want to take care of yourself. What, you know, what needs, do you need to change anything? And if so, how do you frame it as, um, you know, just like self-care and not, not restriction because you don't need to be restrictive with diabetes. People think you do, but you really don't. It's, you can make my, you know, you can make some minor tweaks and it makes all the difference in the world mm-hmm. um, to like, you know, meal mixes and meal patterns and um, movement. And there's so much more to it. So what we decided was we had a lot of content we wanted to give to people, but then we also wanted to have more discussion time. We just said, you know, this needs to be an online course. So we are working on, and hopefully it's going to be out um, soon. And um, we've been working on this project and it's going to have recorded content. 
there's going to be about 14 modules. Um, some are long, some are short. So it's, it's pretty doable. It'll be a subscription style course. And um, you have three months to sort of go through it. And during that time, you'll, we're also going to do monthly group calls. Uh, where they get the support. And we felt like that would be uh, a better amount of time for somebody because we were just doing like four weeks and that was it. And some people said, you know, I just needed more time to work yeah, with. Yeah. And so we felt that this would extend the time and then they would have the support. And we give a lot of really good kind of coaching information in uh, the modules. It's every, you know, facet of your life. It's not just food and and what you eat and um, exercise. Like that's such a small part of it. It's, you know, stress management and getting support and making sense of your blood sugars and, um, you know, and, um, healing from trauma, (laughs) like basically like the need to heal from trauma. We're not, obviously we're not, you know, therapists and that's not a place to get trauma care, but just acknowledging that if there's trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you will need extra help kind of thing. So it's just really, we're calling it self-care for diabetes and um, it is health at every size based and we're super excited about it. Wow. That's amazing. You probably also have to teach a lot of unlearning as well as learning, right? Because I, I know at least here, um, when people get diagnosed with type two, it's okay, you need to stop eating this, stop doing this and go exercise and lose weight is kind of the first thing. Yeah. So you're probably bumping up against that and kind of having them unlearn a little bit while they learn as well. Right. And we, we definitely started with the, the our first module is shame resilience. Oh, because so because this is what people come in. You probably see this all the time, but people come in with a new diagnosis of diabetes and they're steeped in shame as though they yeah. brought this on themselves. So yes. it wasn't like a, you know, very rooted in genetics kind of condition yeah. um, and is multifactorial and like, but they're like, and I did this to myself and they've been made to feel that way by yeah. the medical, um, the medical world. And so, yeah, yeah we start with, with healing from shame. Oh, that's and, so beautiful. Yeah. And we sort of are explaining like why we don't come from a restriction um, mindset and a diet and weight loss uh, paradigm because it doesn't work. And it's, and I know that the people coming into this program will probably have already experienced. I can't imagine there's anybody left in the world, in the Western world that hasn't somehow tried to diet and lose weight. I mean, I'm sure there are people, but it just feels like everybody's been touched by the diet culture. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'll be a lot of like, oh, this is really new information, but we are going to be very, when we're promoting it, we want to be very clear. This isn't a weight loss program Yeah. at all. This is figuring out what your self-care needs and how to go about, um, you know, getting, getting that in place. Oh, it's so beautiful. When it gets going, can you send me the link and I'll throw it in the show notes, even if yes. I've already published this and we'll just have it for a future. Yeah. And I'll send you the link where, um, like people will go and for now it's just a sign up list, but people okay. can sign up there to make yeah. sure they're the first that hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you that link. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be cool. Um, I also just, I had a question because I always love talking to other podcasters. Um, I just wondered if there was um, any story or interview or any behind the scenes thing um, from the Dietitians Unplugged podcast that you'd be willing to share? 
Yes, I was thinking about this. <laughs> like, how much should I share? One, we are plagued with technical difficulties literally every episode. <laughs> I remember one where I forget which one of you said it, but you're like, we recorded a whole thing and now it's not here. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Oh, the nightmares. Um, that that would be number one is that I cannot believe and we use a like we use a podcasting program and it's just been like <laughs> flaking out on us and then we're like oh we gotta resume I feel so grateful to our guests who are so patient mm-hmm. and um yeah so that would be the number one thing but then the <laughs> other funny thing that has just come up again it's happened a few times so we have uh, gotten a lot of good reviews mm-hmm. in apple podcasts and i don't even think all of them from way back are there but it, there's been two that we laugh about and the first one was um saying glennis the only thing i don't like is that when you swear oh. <laughs> and- <laughs> And I was like, I swear so much less than everybody else on our show. What are you talking about? Aaron was the first one to drop an F-bomb. I specifically remember that. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking like, oh, we're doing it. We're going there. All right. <laughs> and so so somebody was like calling me out for swearing as though I were the only one doing it. And then, so I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and then recently, again, and we just talked about it in one of our more, more recent episodes. It's not out. Well, it'll be out by the time this is out, but we, we talked about it with Christy Harrison. Somebody else said, Glennis, I don't like it when you use the word fat. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm not the only one using the word fat on this show. I know I'm not. Um, and so we spent some time. That's why earlier I said, I use that as a neutral descriptor. And my goal is to take the stigma out of the word fat mm-hmm. and not for it to be only a word that fat people can use to describe themselves, but like that we can all say, oh, the person was fat and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Right. I want to normalize fat bodies because they exist and they're not abnormal. We can look at population studies and see that bodies of all sizes exist mm-hmm. um, in in any population. And so it was just kind of funny. And so we were joking about like p- the role of patriarchy, how I keep getting yeah. called out for stuff. The Aaron is also doing all <laughs> the time. Yeah. All the time and possibly more than me. I don't know. Yeah. But um, it was kind of funny. Um, and so it's just sort of like, it, it really feeds into my worst fears being a, a woman, a female in society where yeah. I'm like, we are highly criticized for everything, um, more than men. And, yes. uh, and it's like, oh, well, at least I wasn't imagining it. <laughs> yeah. It's right here in, um, Apple podcast reviews. Right. And, um, so that was kind of funny. And then the other, the other funny thing is one of our guests, we were just chatting casually, you know, as you do before, or after a podcast and it was after yeah. a podcast and she was like, an, Oh, Aaron, I just think you're so great. And you're just that you're just so funny. And then there was like a pause and then <laughs> I said, Oh, is is or she? I think she said, "You're Aaron. You're the funny one." And I was like, "Oh, I thought we were both kind of funny." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, and I'm I'm yeah, I'm not the funny one." She goes, "No." <laughs> was like, well, could you replace it with a look? But you're the clever one, or something. Like, could you <laughs> could you soften that? No, there was nothing. No. I was like, "Wow, well, guess who's not getting asked on the show again?" But anyway, <laughs> That's so, funny. so I I really I really 
thought that was kind of funny. It's mm-hmm. been a good star. I won't say who it was, but that person was a very w- wonderful guest, very sweet guest. And um, yeah. I just thought that was a very funny thing to say. <laughs> like, yeah. My feelings might be getting hurt here. Um, <laughs> I know you can't see me, but my face right now. Right. There's a tear yeah. sliding yeah. down. I'm not the funny one. I was, my friends tell me I'm funny. So. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, hilarious. I, Aaron is funnier than me on our podcast, but whatever. <laughs> don't, I, don't point it out. <laughs> I think you're both funny. Thank you. Thank you're you. Welcome. Fragile <laughs> ego being um, tended to. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Um, so I'm, st- I'm sitting here laughing. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but you are funny. Um, <laughs> It's okay, Glennis. It's okay, Glennis. You're funny. You like Um, me. You really like me. That might be the title of this episode. Glennis is funny. (laughs) Um, There, I nailed it. Um, So, just to wrap things up, because I'm we we chatted a lot before we hit record, and I'm trying to stay on time for you. (laughs) Um, So, uh, I like to kind of finish things up with the question of what is nourishing you now. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be food-related. It doesn't have to be work-related. Just what makes you feel good? Oh, gosh. I think I realized, because I really had to sit down and think about, like, I was working so much the last few years, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't feeling happy. Uh, I was happy that I was building my practice, but I am not somebody who wants my every waking minute to be work. And then I started to think, like, what really makes me happy and as you said nourishes me and it's it's social connection it's um just time to be able to sit around and talk with friends and in a big city that can be really hard to get together because everybody's super busy and always has something to do after Mm -hmm. um but i'm very much just sit around and shoot the um oh you're gonna swear you can totally swear on this show really (laughs) yeah (laughs) But you might get a review that you swore. I'm just somebody who likes to sit around and chat a lot. (laughs) I didn't do it. And like that is when I think about the sadness of leaving all the different cities I've left in, like I've lived in, I feel like, oh, I miss those people that I used to get to sit around and chat with. And so Mm. that is the thing I'm seeking out the most is connection with other, um, especially with other like health at every size practitioners in my community and there are a lot in LA and so and I've made friends with people I've networked with and that's been amazing Mm -hmm. uh, to have people who are my friends now and so so really social connection is the theme I'm leaning hard on right now with my life where it's like I just want to hang out and just talk with people and connect because to me that's what life is about um and then, yeah, and then just sitting and reading a lot is the other thing I love to do. And, um, of course, watching the same TV shows over and over again would be the other thing that I do, which is a total comfort thing. Oh, totally. I'm the same. I don't like to watch anything new if I'm particularly stressed because I yeah. don't have to worry about what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to watch. I don't want to like. I feel like Game of Thrones broke my TV bone, and like now I'm like, no, it's not Game of Thrones. I'm not going to watch it. It's like nothing's going to be that. Sorry if you don't like Game of Thrones, but that was my thing, my TV show. And now it's like everything else just pales in comparison. So I watch like a couple of the same TV shows on streaming over and over again. (laughs) It's ridiculous, but that is like I realize how much 
comfort we need. Like the work we do as dietitians, especially non-diet dietitians is so intense. Yes. Um, that I, now I just really need super comforting things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in my spare time and then making sure that I don't work too much actually. And that is, like I said, being a, being a part of the middle class is, feels like this wonderful privilege that's been handed to me where I'm like, Oh, I get to decide now. Like I'm, I'm no matter what, I'll be above, you know, a certain level of living. And now I can decide, do I need to work more or less? And that's just like, she feels shocking to me and also really nice. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you for connecting today. Yes, this nice is, and I love being on po- other people's podcasts because like, I don't have to do any of the work. I just oh, talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. Eh? <laughs> so I, yeah, it is. And I'm so, um, I'm just so grateful. And it was so fun to talk to you. You're super fun to talk with. Oh, thank you. Maybe I'll get that review someday. Yeah. I'll no. give it to you. Oh, okay. Well, thank you again for joining the podcast. Um, and hopefully we'll get to connect soon sometime, maybe in real life. I really need to start going to more conferences. My kids are a bit older. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what, uh, what conference I can go to in Canada so I can like have a trip home and, um, but for it to more or less be paid for by my business. So I've got to figure that out in the next year or two. And just as a, t- it's not a pitch because I have nothing to do with it, but my favorite one that's always in Toronto is the Netic conference. It's biannual. So we just yes. had one last May. Yeah. And it's and- always over my birthday. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so the so. next one will be 2021 and you should so come up for your birthday and we can go have cake. Okay. All right. I might All consider right. that. Yeah. Because it's yeah. I, honestly, it's the I. If I don't get approved from work, it's one of those ones that I just pay for and go and figure out how to manage my life. Okay, it's I'm gonna so put good. that one on the that's yeah. gonna come on the calendar. So yeah. All right. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Um, and we will chat soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Thank you.